in a world where they had thought to have vanished. Where they were lost for millennia, they have returned. Ladies and gentlemen, the Amazons. I'm making that up. That was just my fun. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. In a world. I love it. I love it. Okay. I would have to put our intro in front of us. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think that's plenty of intro. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, welcome to the 34 Cersei Salon. Make matriarchy great again, and this is gonna be fun. So I am Sean Morlanukum and I am here with Don Sam Alden. And we have our prize special guest, Vicky Noble. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get right into it. This is an Amazon show, so this will be a lot of fun. And so Vicky. What is the big idea you want everyone to take away from on this podcast today? Basically, female leadership. And I want people to understand the long continuity of female leadership, even after the old European civilization was destroyed. Fantastic. Nice. Let's get right into what old Europe is. And I'm, I'm sorry, don't just jump in as the Amazon. Yeah, dream. I just want to say oh, that. <laughs> I just want to say that when we originally started these podcasts, this is sort of where we we wanted to start, but realized, especially after talking to Vicky, that we needed to sort of back up and and go through what caught what sort of brought the amazons into being and what was the culture that they were defending and that they sprung from so uh we have done those episodes which have been incredibly fascinating and for me i have you know i knew none of that and so i have learned all this great information um so now we're sort of starting to talk about the Amazon specifically, um, really for the first time, we've sort of glanced, you know, glance, bl glancingly talked about them, but now we're going to get into the nitty gritty. And uh, Sean and I could not be more excited. We're squirming in our seats. <laughs> That's <Yes>. wonderful. <laughs> I'm, I'm really eager to talk about the Amazons. Uh, I do want to review just a little bit of where they come from. And also uh, people... To, just to jump in too, Vicki, can I just tell the folks what episodes you've been on so that they could go back? We'll, we'll no, reference them again. Refer to but just them, to, let's refer to them as it's as it comes up because I think then they'll know what uh, the subject matter. It'll be in context, yeah. Yeah. Okay, context, yeah. I go for it. I, I works for me. So oh, good. As you were saying, as you were saying. Yeah. Well, I think one thing that uh, the listeners should know if they haven't read my book, The Double Goddess, um, is that the way that I'm looking at Amazons uh, starts back in prehistory rather than in the classical period. So I really want to lay the groundwork for that. I want it to make sense. Mm -hmm. and okay. By the time we get to the classical period and the Amazons that Herodotus was writing about, uh, like 500 BCE, uh, it'll really make sense what a long continuity of female leadership we're talking about. So the Amazons you see as being the heirs to this much earlier history of women as women leaders. Absolutely. 
Okay. Well said. So, you know, if we remember when we talked about the old European goddess civilizations of the Neolithic, we already were remembering that they came from earlier times, from the Paleolithic when there wasn't any agriculture, and then uh, from the transition period into the agriculture and farming that they're so well known for. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so I thought I would just uh, really emphasize how much of that had to do with women, because that's what is completely erased from normal prehistory classes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Where is old Europe, Vicki? Where, where specifically was that? Ah, it's really all the way from, uh, from the Mediterranean, from the Aegean Sea, all the way to the, to, uh, through Bulgaria to the Black Sea. Wow. Okay. So an area that is mostly Eastern, maybe a little bit of Central Europe, down into the Mediterranean, down into the Black Sea. Yeah. Starting okay. with Greece and, and uh, moving upward. You know, we talked about the migration of people from Greece up into around the Danube River to a place called Lipinski Vir, the most well-known site. And then finally, the spread. Um, but I'll talk more about that. I, I wanted to make a quote from, uh, you know, I've talked about Harold Harmon and Joan Marler and what good work they've done. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Journal of Archaeomythology is up online and just wonderful, has so many good essays and articles from over the years. And the way they talk about the, the women's involvement in the transition to agriculture is very beautiful. Um, they say that it required the cooperation and coordination of entire communities to prepare the land for planting, to cultivate, to tend, to water, and protect the growing plants from predators, and then to harvest and process the results. You know, all of this comes out of the woman as gatherer and then uh, adapts itself to to the cultivation of plants and the domestication of animals. And uh, they say the stress that women's gathering activities, they stress that the gathering activities led to profound knowledge and sensitivity to the dynamic patterns and changing conditions of each complex ecosystem, and so on. In other words, the kind of sensitivity that uh, we, we attribute these days to permaculture but that in the ancient times happened naturally uh, from living in a place and from the women being so close to the, uh, to the plants and the use of plants. And um, I, I might also point out uh, that there have been studies done on um, the uh, amount of calories that were gained from hunting versus gathering, and that the vast majority of calories actually came from the gathering, not the hunting. Uh-huh. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. I read that it was something like 80%. I guess it, they don't know what it was. They know that in hunter-gatherer cultures today, the gathering that the women do is really makes up the great portion of the diet. Right. Yes. So we, we know from our earlier talks about the old European civilization that they produced an incredible outpouring of sculptures and portable altars and ceremonial items indicating an enduring 
dedication to their rituals, communal rituals plugged into the calendar of the seasons and cycles of life. And, uh, and then from the, from the podcast we did on the script that belonged to the old European civilization, mm-hmm. the Danube script, we also saw that they had innovation. They had this long continuity, thousands of years of farming sustainably, and incredible artwork, and it evolved into uh, more and more refined uh, expression of art. And then finally, they developed a whole systematic use of linear signs, hundreds of them, mm-hmm. that they used within this ritual context. Um, and that's what we call the Danube script. So we, those, those are the podcasts I would recommend if people are interested in going further into that study. Absolutely. So that would be one is called uh, Old Europe. Uh, let me get Matriarch of Old, Old Europe, specifically the section on uh, agriculture and culture, mm-hmm. and then um, the sacred script of sacred script of the matriarchy. Yeah, symbols of the script and matriarchal culture, and um, yeah, we're probably about to start referencing. Uh, Crete, Minoan women, and the origin of the Amazons. So it wouldn't hurt to go back there. Yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't hurt to go back there and listen to that one too. Exactly. So just to sum up the achievements of old Europe, uh, Harman and Marler say by the mid sixth millennium BCE. So this is eight thousand years ago. Okay. Yeah. This is- <clears throat> the old Europeans had established successful farming practices networks of long-distance trade, refined, highly innovative ceramics, and long-lived, mature, egalitarian societies. And I would add they were peaceful. Yes. They learned to build houses with more than one story. They developed gold and copper metallurgy and used hundreds of visual signs and symbols expressing conventional meanings. And these are female-centric civilizations. This is a female-centric civilization. Just yeah, to make sure that's what we gather from all the different uh, outputs that I'm talking about now, as well as the, the more than 100,000 female figurines mm-hmm. that were... When you say... Sorry, I was going to say... When, that's all. Yes. When you say female-centric, can you just kind of explain a little bit about more how that works? As we're talking egalitarian, we're not talking the flip of patriarchy. Ooh, ooh, can I can I answer yeah. that? Can I answer yeah. that? From how what I've learned? Europe, As a student of Vicky Noble, I would say that that means look at me being so proud of myself <laughs> um, that they are matrilinear, that they are matrilocal that they have um, an egalitarian economy that is, that is uh, based in gift giving to maintain um, egalitarianism and that they worship a feminine divine. Go Dawn. Yes. <laughs> Score. <laughs> yeah. They're just completely not top down. Right. You know, it's a, a horizontal or a group kind of mentality. Um, they're working together. They're working cooperatively. Uh, it's it's. We have to stretch our minds to 
to imagine what that would feel like because yeah. we're so far from it these days. It's it's interesting. One of the things that I've been researching is um, is sort of pockets that feel like matriarchy today. Uh-huh. And um, when I was living in Chicago, I was part of uh, two all-female theater companies, one that I uh, joined that was already in place, and then one that I consequently, that I subsequently founded. And I always tried to explain to people like how, how different it felt uh-huh. to be in a, a theater company where there were only women in the room. Yeah. And now I have the tools to explain why it felt so different. And one of the major things was the matriarchal concept of consensus building. That um, exactly. Yeah. Resolution. That we always we made decisions by consensus. Uh-huh. And, you know, it meant that it took longer to to come to a decision. But when we did come to a decision, everyone had, because they'd been part of this process, everyone was invested in the decision that we came to and felt that a part of them was was in that decision. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone is heard. Uh, you can stand out. I mean, I'm thinking now of li- living matriarchal cultures where we can talk to people about how they actually do this process. Mm-hmm. And there are, uh, you know, there are protocols where if a person really disagrees, they can block. It mm-hmm. rarely happens. Um, and then there are options for people to just uh, stand out, mm-hmm. be neutral, you know, abstain. And, yeah. And and mostly it's agreeable and cooperative and mostly they arrive at unanimous decisions. Yeah. So there are these little, you know, these little nuggets of matriarchy that still exist in in the world today. And when you find them, there is this almost startling feeling of like, this is different. It's sort of like the way that right now uh, the studies have been coming out showing that women leaders in different countries around the world are the ones who have been successful with handling COVID. Yes. They've proven it. It's amazing. And and I don't even believe in the idea of one female leader making that much difference. I think it probably takes more than that. But apparently these women are free to operate from their own uh, natures and from their own decision-making and so on. Um, So they're not just... uh, they're not just working in a patriarchal form. They're actually right. changing the form. Right. And that's so, very exciting. So that's the, that's the structure. That's the framework we're working in now from which we, eventually we see the Amazons come forth. Yeah. Right? This, yes. And this that's, what I, really, that's what I feel excited about is the way the Amazons did come forth and what kind of drove them to it, uh, which is a good segue into just reminding people we did one of our podcasts, the old Europe one, we ended with, uh, you know, the terrible uh, erasure of that beautiful culture. Mm-hmm. Um, it started, I think, uh, in the town of Varna on the 
western coast of the Black Sea in Bulgaria. Mm-hmm. And um, that was a really important place. The archaeologists are crazy about it because there was so much gold, more gold than they've ever found anywhere in the world. Gold objects, you know, that had been. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and I think that was probably part of the attraction of the uh, of the invasions that happened, because in a, in a north of the Black Sea and uh, on the steppes, uh, the culture was different that was forming. And uh, we believe it's the Proto-Indo-European culture that was forming at that time. This would be in about the middle of the fifth millennium. So, and, for, and for the listener, who were the Indo-Europeans? What was, well, that's, that's, that? they're the ones who developed uh, a culture of male dominance and, uh, and, and, and finally war. And we really don't know why that happened. I mean, that's a great research question for somebody to, to really investigate. But you would have to go there, I think, and look at the uh, museum and archaeological material. But it's no one has figured it out so far. My friend Miriam Robbins Dexter, who's very smart about these things, has has suggested the idea that the young males might have been um, exiled from the earlier cultures for uh, for some kind of uh, mistake that they made or whatever crime we would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and and if that was so, that maybe they gathered together, banded together, because the reason people think something like that is because the the invasions into old Europe that started in about the middle of that fifth millennium, and and especially wiped out uh, Varna and nearby places, um, they were male. They the archaeological remains show that they were males, incoming males, and really different, you know, in the culture. They were buried in kurgans, uh, one mound for one man. And uh, anyway, I, I, we've talked and about didn't they And didn't they also, um, not only did they raid goods, but they often also raided women. They kidnapped women. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. And, you know, uh, everybody used to deny this in the establishment, but it, it is fairly undeniable now because of recent DNA material that has come through the different studies. And uh, it's clear that the first wave of invaders came in. There weren't too many of them, and it doesn't show in the DNA record in a, in a big way. But the archaeological record shows that they made forays into that area. And they brought back stuff that is, as it's dug up from their burials all the way back in the steppes, um, the archaeologists recognize it as having come from the Balkans. It's right. all the beautiful things that they made in old Europe that we've been talking about. Right. And those things are found in those uh in those early graves. And, uh, and then they know finally from the DNA material that uh, they also brought back women. And so, so that first wave didn't, it didn't disrupt all of Europe, if that makes sense. It just made a mark. Um, And it began what the archaeologists like to call 
raiding and trading. You know. Can I just jump in for a second, Vicky, sure. to tell the listener one of the ways that we know this information is correct because people sometimes question is what they have found both in the archaeological record and in the genetic record, yes. the archaeogenetics, is that there is a gender imbalance in the genetic record eventually after these invasions occur. The gender imbalance that still exists within the European population showing that a lot of the Y DNA, the male DNA, is descends from these invaders, this invasion population. Maybe not the first wave. As not the yes, but certainly the later ones. Yes, the first after. wave is in the mid fifth millennium, and uh, and that's definitely you know that definitely had an impact, but it was pretty local, I would say. And then um, and then they there were displaced refugees. We know that now partly from that. Uh, um, gosh, National Geographic, no, Archaeology Magazine article that we talked about in one of our podcasts where they were mm-hmm. describing uh, huge uh, mega cities that formed in, in the fourth millennium, in the beginning of the fourth millennium, um, at the, as these uh, refugees were leaving the Bulgarian part of the old European culture and going more toward Moldova and uh, finally the Ukraine. And they were joining the Kukuteni Tripolia culture that it had very similar values and was part of the larger uh, old European scene. Um, and so that all happened in the fourth millennium. By the end of the fourth millennium, even those megacities are destroyed. Or they say they're abandoned. <laughs> so that, that's when that's when we start seeing the genetic imprint again for the listeners. So there's these different waves. There's old Europe, and then there are these succeeding waves over millennia of these basically mostly male Indo-European invaders coming in from the steppes. And then you see in the archaeological record, you see uh, traumatic. Uh, evidence of, of trauma, of physical trauma on the skulls and bodies of males in these old Europe matriarchies. And you also see in the genetic record, the lineage go, changing from being the old European male DNA to the Indo-European step warrior DNA, whereas the female DNA is pretty much unchanged. They don't bring in women with a DNA print similar to the male print of the invaders, you have the male invader imprint and the female DNA, which is what they start calling what raiding and trading and all the romanticized versions they have of this, I guess, Vicky, of the way these guys are portrayed. So that's just so people know there is evidence in the record. It's not something we're just sort of pulling out of thin air and creating from whole cloth. And the, and the big evidence that you're describing is the the wave that happened around the end of the fourth and the beginning of the third millennium, when so many Indo-European males came into old Europe that they absolutely uh, erased the culture. I mean, for all practical purposes, they, they erased the material culture. Of course, we know that the script was remembered in some way. We know that the signs and symbols and motifs have come down for thousands of years and can still be found in a lot of the folk art in uh, Eastern Europe and so on. Um, that That's the group that has been named Yamnaya, that third wave. And and they they absolutely destroyed 
old Europe. So I'm calling Amazons those women warriors that show up beginning in the third millennium, beginning mm. exactly at the end of their culture. And uh, it's like they, they erupted into the historical record in the Bronze Age. Um, and I said in my Double Goddess book, you know, that I, I see a story here. I, I think they just kept uh, running, that the displacements continued to happen, and especially all through the third millennium, um, in, in both directions, they went east, they went west. And so the, the migrations, very far-flung migrations, have been my fascination since Karen Vogel and I made the Motherpiece cards 40 years ago. Thank you for listening all the way to the end. But wait, there's more. Stay tuned for part two of Rise of the Amazons, up next. Thank you for listening to the 34 Circe Salon. Take care.